live long and prosper. I was going to Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. Lilu Dallas Multipass. Shut up and take my money. By Grabthar's hammer. What a saving. One does not simply walk into Mordor. X never, ever marks the spot. Winter is coming. You're a wizard, Harry. Stay a while and listen. Hey, old Kermit the Frog. Your ties are cool. So say we all. This is a play on nerds. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 108 of A Play on Nerds. We're coming back so frequently, you guys are going to be tired of us. Uh, I am your co-host, Jarman. I'm the other co-host, Steve, and we're here to co-host the hell out of this. And we're going to be talking this week about Star Trek Nemesis, the 2002 classic Star Trek film. It's in our ongoing series. Why are we talking about (laughs) Exactly. It's our ongoing series of uh, going through all the Star Trek films and all the Muppet films, because those are our two favorite franchises, uh, me being Star Trek and him Muppets. And we're getting through it pretty fast now. It's only been about a year and a half, I think. Oh, yeah. It's been a long time. <laughs> it's not really fast at all. No, not at all. And last week, uh, last week I, we had the great classic uh, Wizard of Oz Muppets. Oh God! And 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 I do think that we can both agree that this is like back to back the worst. Maybe. Nope. We are going to disagree quite heavily. <laughs> you liked this thing? We'll, we'll find out later in the feature segment. Stay tuned, folks. Uh, my wife is shaking her head vigorously, Jarman. <laughs> she can judge all she wants. <laughs> she will. <laughs> so what have you been up to since our last episode? It hasn't been that long. Well, did we record after the holiday? I believe we did. Yes. Or no, we recorded right no. before the holiday. You're right. Okay. Must have so been. Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving happened. Right. Uh, Forgot about that. We, we uh, went up to Anna's mom's place and her brother, wife, and three kids came and had a nice Thanksgiving, spent the night, and then came home. Had a few days off after that, and it was real nice. Nice. Good food? Uh, yeah. We, uh, we took over the potatoes this year. Ooh. So I made roast garlic before we went. Oh, wow. Real shit. Roast garlic mashed potatoes. And then Anna did uh, roast sweet potatoes, roast yams. Yeah. Uh, and then you puree them, and then I made a caramel, I made caramelized onion jam. Jeez. And we just put that in there, too. Nice. I've never been a fan of the the sweet potato dishes at uh, Thanksgiving. When, when they're, I like them when they're a little bit more savory. Same here. Like that's what the caramelized onions did for this. My issue is when it's like sweet potatoes with brown sugar, and then we put marshmallows on top of them, and then we put on a caramel sauce on top of that. It just tastes funky to me. And then and then gummy bears. <laughs> and then pixie sticks. Um. See, that's a problem for me, but what it's like nice and savory and can give you a nice kind of sweet bite to go with stuff. That's, that's okay. Yeah, exactly. I need, if I make best um, sweet potatoes myself, I'm always salting it up at, like in garlic and everything, making it good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's funny. Cause for Thanksgiving this year, I also did mashed potatoes, well mashed potatoes. And I just put like garlic salt and garlic cloves in there as well. And my mom says she hates garlic, but I hid it from her that mm-hmm. she loved it. She ate like two helpings of it. Yeah. <laughs> She doesn't need to know. Unless she listens to the episode, then she'll find out. But she liked it. Ah, betrayal. Betrayal. (laughs) But other than that, yeah, it's been working and working out. And I told Stephen before we started recording that I think I threw my back out again, being dumb at the gym. And and the gym's a funny place because I'm always looking at the people judging them how they're working out and then wondering if they're judging me. Oh, they definitely are. (laughs) No wonder. No. I know they're judging you. <laughs> like I always try to pretend like I know what I'm doing at all times, but really I'm following this app on my phone that tells me workouts to do and has videos of each app of each workout. I'm like, I'm totally doing this right. Yeah, I'm sure this is correct, but I never know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> Trust the app, Charmin. Chuck Norris is there to help you. Oh yeah. I wish it was a Chuck Norris app. That'd be great. Except for that this. Bowflex video just over and over <laughs> from the nineties. <90s. laughs> yeah. Oh man. So yeah, not too eventful besides uh, I had a little quiet Thanksgiving. So sounds like you That's kind nice. of too. Yeah, we didn't do too much. Nice. So I guess that takes on a nerdy news already? Nerdy news. It's time for nerdy news. Yeah. All right. Well, what you got for us this week? 
So this week in Nerdy News, I've got the Retirement Blues is the name of my stories. Nice. Uh, the first one, Retirement, uh, Sylvester Stallone with a release picture from the set of Creed II uh, that was taken while it was filming, uh, was revealed that he is officially retiring from the role of Rocky. Creed II <laughs> is the last time. Sure it is, unless he dies in the film, he's, which is he's possible. He's walking away. Uh, and and uh, the other one is they announced today that Blue Beetle, who was on that poster, I think, in your room, the DC comic, is getting its own show or movie. Oh, yeah. They've been, they've been rumoring about that for a while. but And, they, and they're talking about like an like a all Latino-centric cast and stuff. Neat. That should be yeah. interesting. So, yeah, I'm excited to see what they do with it. Wait, is it going to be a CW show? I have no idea. It'll probably be on their new streaming service, I'm, if I had to guess. Everything's going to be on everyone's new streaming service. <laughs> Everyone right? has a new streaming service, exactly. <laughs> TV is, is irrelevant now. They just don't know yet. <laughs> and we'll be paying the same amount of money for all the different streaming services we did for cable. So it'll be like $100 a month to pay for all the stupid streaming services. That's true. You got to audit. Ugh, terrible. Uh, so yeah, the Blue Beetle and uh, Rocky is retiring. Nice. I'm telling you, though, if he's not dead in Creed 2, it'll be 10 years from now, and it'll be Rocky starting a boxing ring in the retirement home. Like, that's, that's going to happen. Well, now here's when they, so they'll reset the franchise, uh-huh. and he will come back as the little shriveled old man, which he'll be by that point. And he'll be You're Mickey. a bum rock. You're a bum rock. You're a bum rock. Turns <laughs> like a South Park character now. <laughs> Anyways, my new story is called Gattaca for Reels. Now, this is making oh, yeah. the rounds recently. Um, a Chinese scientist has claimed to make the first genetically engineered babies. Um, he claims he only did it to make them resistant to HIV. And he's offered no evidence or proof of this actually being true. But the problem is, we could just say, oh, that's just stupid. Then he didn't really do it. But um, previous work is known to many experts in the field who said, many with alarm, that this was entirely possible that he had because of his background, his expertise, and his funding. Hmm. So he actually okay. could possibly have done it. And it's illegal in most countries to do this. They made a convention saying we should not do this. It's dangerous, um, not only because of the implications of, like, you know, um, eugenics and stuff but also because you can mess up the genes and create weird mutations and stuff and hurt people's lives uh but it's not illegal in china so he's like go for it but the company uh said that that he worked for they put him on no paid leave since february so whatever he's doing he's doing on his own time on his own dime um so hmm. it could very well be possible and the stupid thing they're saying is that he's uh, the HIV thing is bullshit, or at least he did that first just to test it out because there's many ways to prevent babies from getting HIV uh, when they're born from a parent with HIV, so it's not really necessary. Um, so right. he's doing it for other reasons. But um, people are really scared. It's in a lot of journals and stuff. There's no evidence yet, but they're trying to investigate to figure out if he really did it or not. Uh, but it could have big implications for the future and create the Gattaca world that we saw in that great movie from the 90s. Yeah. So be scared, people. That could be happening. <laughs> all right. So on yeah, that right, note. Well, good so. news. Uh, so before we move into, I've got a little, uh, let's say, mythology segment. Uh, I, I want to give my mom another chance to turn off the podcast and walk away. Well, actually, she uh, actually, this is a good chance. Shout out to my mom. She actually had surgery today. Oh, goodness. Everything uh, all to right? To take something out, something out for once. Hmm. Uh, she has she had a stabilizing rod in her hip from when she had her big surgery, and her hip is fully healed, uh, and she doesn't need the stabilizing rod anymore. So they were able to pull it. Well, that's good. Get that metal on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, she's still gonna set off every metal detector at an airport, but you know, well, heal up well, Steve's mom. That's right. Uh, but you can turn off now. You can take one of your pills and, and close your eyes because I want to talk about uh, just some D and D theory with you. Oh, goodness. All right. That's right. Okay. So I'm getting stuck on this idea, and I need to know if it's a real dumb idea or not. So the, so the idea is you make a character at level one who's real bad at what he does. So if you make a, a warrior, you know, a fighter, you make him really weak and really intelligent. And then the idea is that your character realizes they're bad at what they do, 
and they go into a different field. And that's why they multi-class. Uh-huh. But the, the issue is, is that most multi-classing stuff is based off of like, well, you have to have stats that synergize and work well together. But I don't think you do. I think you just have to admit you're going to be bad at that first class, get what you want out of it, and then move on. That's fair. And it won't really matter that much at level one anyways. Right. So like level one sorcerer gets four cantrips. That's great. Cantrips are super useful for almost every class. So you take level one sorcerer, but you give him crazy strength. He's not very good at being a sorcerer. (laughs) (laughs) And then you, and then he becomes a barbarian because he follows his true. And so now you have a barbarian with all the good barbarian stuff and like a bunch of cantrips and magic stuff to throw around that are great for utility. Right. Uh, so is that dumb? I think it's <laughs> like worth every, a shot. Every, every multi-classing thing I read is like, you have to find two classes that'll work together. And I'm like, do you really though? You just have to admit you're going to be bad at something. Especially in the new version 5.0, there's uh, a lot of those level one things you get cantrips included are more powerful than they were in other versions. So even oh, yeah. if you probably miss more because a lot of times it's based off your casting stat. And so if your casting stats low, you wouldn't hit with a lot of cantrips, but you could well, do like precedentation and stuff like that that don't have a hit chance. Right. That's the thing. I wouldn't try to use it for that. I wouldn't rely on it. Right. Like your that. barbarian wouldn't be shooting a firebolt because he'd miss every single time. No, but I would love to have produce flame because it gives you essentially a torch in your hand that you can use to start fires and that sort of stuff. Right. It's useful. But I was just thinking because you could do a human variant like sorcerer so you take you could basically have like seven spells and be a and be a fighter yeah <laughs> i mean the purist would probably say well then you'll be that much weaker compared to your compat your compatriots at that level um they'll have better powers sooner than you and that might affect battle later on but um yeah, yeah well, but think of all the utility a fighter could get out of six cantrips right unless you already had the sorcerers in the group or something but you could still help yeah, and all the role play opportunities as well. Yeah, sexy role playing. Mm. I don't know. I'm gonna start looking at it because I'm sick of reading all these things. It's like you can't multi-class that with that. I'm like, shut up. You don't tell me what to do. <laughs> well, actually, in my D and D news is is that uh, my GM, who've been doing our 5.0 campaign for a while now, for over two years, uh, he got tired of it. He's like, and you guys are already way above level where you should be. You're not even halfway through the campaign because we dawdle so much and do such random shit and like go off and sell beer or something and don't do the campaign. So like he's saying, I just want to finish this one and start the next one that came out. Cause it sounds much cooler. And I was like, okay. Cause I feel like I kind of wanted to finish the story, but instead we're going to start this new campaign that just came out. Um, so I'm gonna make a new character. It's going to be interesting. So RGM had the same idea <laughs> and it's basically like, look, it's been two and a half years. I'm not having fun prepping for this anymore. So we're going to finish this chapter and then I'm probably going to restart. Yeah, and it's really important that your GM like is enjoying themselves because they're the one doing the most work. So you got to make them like it. So right. I, I get it, but I'm just like, oh man. But I went along with it. Um, but yeah, the cool thing is though, is he's going to the new campaign we're going to do is he's going to take an old uh, advanced D and D, so D and D two campaign that he loved and played growing up and adapt it. Oh, very nice. That's actually a job you can get. Uh, one of my old GMs who is. Not the most fun, but he was just really, um, he knew every single thing about Dungeons and Dragons. There is known demand. He had every fact, every number in the back of his mind. He worked for um, Paizo, who makes Pathfinder, and they would take these third party campaigns that were written for D&D, and he was paid to adapt them to Pathfinder. Um, so not only wow. he was running the campaigns that he helped adapt, and it was just like, what the fuck? But your, your guy's doing the same thing, basically, but he's just not getting paid for it, which is a shame. Yeah, it's called birthright apparently, and you get powers based on the the bloodline that you come from, and warring realms, and you get to like influence regions and see benefit from it. It seems like there's a lot more components to it. So it's it big be scale, yeah, it should be fun. So sorry to our non D and D nerds, but we just we have to geek out about that for a little bit because we we love it. All right, all right. So I'm going to try to make something crazy. I'll update you next time. Nice. That's a good idea. I think you should do it. So now Romulus and Remus. <laughs> yeah. So, so why are we talking about Nemesis, Romulus and Remus? Uh, there is Rom- Romul- uh, Romulus, which is the Romulan home planet. Right. And then a one-time throwaway planet called Remus, 
which is like a moon that's in locked synchronization with it or something. Right. So it doesn't spin. So one side is always, um, and the question is why would Romulans have named their planets after two, like, you know, (laughs) earth heroes from the Roman mythology. Who knows? Right. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, Even with a translator translating that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, so I took a look at the real, not the real, but the mythological Romulus and Remus, and here to tell you a little bit about it. Yeah. So they're sons of this lady named Rhea, and Rhea was the daughter of an early Italian king named Numitor. Cool name. Well, Numitor had a younger brother who kicked him off the throne. Didn't kill him, but deposed him. Uh, Amulius, his brother, forces Rhea to become a, a, Vesta, uh, a Vestal virgin. Oh, I've heard about which that. were these six maids who attended the temple of Vesta, who is the Roman equivalent of the Greek God uh, Hestia, mm. uh, who is the goddess of the Titan goddess of the hearth and home. So as a Vesta virgin, she had to take a vow of celibacy, uh, attend the temple, clean things. It was a commitment of 30 years, but uh, Illuminius did it so that she couldn't have any kids that could possibly oppose his role. Gotcha. So she gets pregnant. Most scholars believe that she probably got raped or had an affair or something. Um, but in, but rumors started getting spreaded that uh, Mars, the God of war had impregnated her or maybe even Hercules Ooh. and Amulius, uh, her uncle didn't want to take, didn't want to be like, you know, offend the gods essentially. So he let her have the kids and he wanted to get rid of them. So he, so she ends up having twins named Romulus and Remus. And the king wants them killed, but he doesn't want to kill them. So he tells one of his servants to go out and just leave them out in the open and they'll die. Figuring that if he doesn't, he himself doesn't kill them, they just die from nature, that the gods won't be mad. Yeah, he didn't right? do it. <laughs> the servant who takes them fall, takes pity on the kids, puts them in a basket, floats them down a river. Where they get lodged in the roots of this big ancient fig tree that had a lot of cultural significance, apparently. There, they're found by a she-wolf. And a woodpecker, who apparently are the two sigil animals of Mars, I guess. A woodpecker. And they feed the kid and, and uh, feed the kids and take care of them until they're found by two shepherds. And the shepherds take the kids and they raise them. So Romulus and Remus come up as shepherds. When they're in their teens, adolescent, they get involved in like basically a gang conflict with other shepherds who are fans of their the person they don't know is their uncle. Who's now like the evil ruler of the land. Amulius is a terrible King. Uh, Remus gets captured in all of this. Romulus raises a small army of rabble rousers and goes in to get Remus back. Rabble, rabble, rabble. While they're going, while this is all happening, they find out that they're the sons of the deposed King. Numitor. Numitor. Um, Numitor. They find out they're sons of Numitor. <laughs> They kill Amulius. They put their father back on the throne. And now you got two young princes running around Italy. Romulus and Remus. They decide they're going to go found their own city. So they go to this area called the seven Hills and they each pick a different hill. And they say, this is where we should found the city. And they can't agree on it. They fight and fight and fight. And finally they decide that they're going to settle this by uh, terms of augury or auger. Augury, which yeah. is divination based off the movement of birds. Oh, wait, I didn't know that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Neither I was like, what the hell? So they, they sit and they watch the birds and six birds go over and land on the hill that Remus has chosen. But 12 birds go over and land on the hill that Romulus has chosen. And he's like, well, it's the, the gods won it this way. That's what that means. Yep. Uh, the brothers continue to fight about it. And it's believed that either Romulus himself or likely one of his followers kills Remus. At some point, and Romulus goes on to found the city of Rome on the hill that he chose. I had thought for some reason they were turned into wolves. Maybe I don't know. That's not the mythos I read. But okay, I must have been mistaken. They were raised by, um, who not, not even raised by, just like cared for until humans found them. Right. Yeah. But yeah, so the real Romulus and Remus, and now let's get into the the Star Trek Romulus and Remus. Oh, blue sky. Smiling at me. Nothing but blue skies. New 
this movie in some time star trek nemesis okay uh okay i remember liking it when i watched it before but now watching it i'm okay. like this movie is solid so we have to get into this <laughs> okay so so my first note is who chose the diablo font <laughs> for the opening credit crawl i think it's a little before who diablo did this no, false. It's definitely the Diablo font. It, it, there's no way that's not the Diablo font. Well, I, I wrote my first note with the, the opening credits is that they never did a better opening than in Star Trek Generations or the other champagne the, bottle. The champagne bottle. That was I the can best. Agree with that. I love that opening. So this is just like a very generic space font on the screen. That's it. Uh, so then they cut to Romulus. They show Remus for the first time. Uh, where it's like the Romulan Empire is meeting and they're having a debate over what to do about the Federation and oh, some Romulans are saying they're talking that, about the Remans in general because they're saying how you know oh, the conditions there are bad for the mining and they're like we have to decide what to do with them we can't keep it like this and he's and the Chancellor or whatever I guess the uh, the current Praetor I think it was called Praetor yeah. the current Praetor who's an actor I recognize but he's like we've already decided this is bullshit they can do what they want over oh, there he was uh, he was Mr Westmore on Lost. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's right. It's <laughs> a good actor. Um, so the re- basically other Romulans are saying, trying to advocate for the Remans that we need to give them better working conditions. They shoot them down and they're like, oh, okay. Well, if you're not going to agree, then we'll just take our leave then. <laughs> and then one of the other senators is like, I got to like go to spectacular too. <laughs> laser light show <laughs> and, and sparkles come down and they're all like, oh, those are cool sparkles. And then they all like turn into husks. And I was going to say, I was watching this in full HD on the big screen, and that that held up. The effects held up. It looked pretty good. Uh, them disintegrating, basically, like, kind of like um, Indiana Jones style to the ground. So then we get to to cut over to, to Captain Kirk, and I just want to point Captain out his Kirk. first word is du- Captain uh, Picard, <laughs> and his first word is, is duty. It is. It is this. Hold on. Starship Captain's life is filled with duty. Starship Captain's life is filled with solemn duty. Let's play this clip. I have commanded men in battle. I have negotiated peace treaties between implacable enemies. I have represented the Federation in first contact with 27 alien species, but none of this compares with my solemn duty today. Duty. As best man. <laughs> now, I know on an occasion such as this, it is expected that I be gracious and fulsome in my praise on the wonders of this blessed union. But have the two of you considered what you were doing to me? Uh, of course, you're uh, happy, but what about my needs? This is all a damned inconvenience. All right, let's be done with this. I mean, well, you are happily settling in on the Titan. I will be training my new first officer. You all know him. He's a tyrannical martinet who will never, ever allow me to go on away missions. That is the regulation, sir. Starfleet Code, Section 12, Paragraph 4. Mr. Data? Sir? Shut up. Yes, sir. (laughs) That's all I wanted to (laughs) hear. Shut up. I love that speech. That was wonderful. The best part of this scene is that Wesley Crusher was there. I could hear that up. was the best part of the scene he was the only one that showed uh, like the he, he hasn't been in any of the other movies right uh no no he hasn't because in the last he episode up, that he was in was, on the next generation yeah. he disappears with the traveler and goes off into their dimension yeah doesn't make sense love it wait Just so love. here's the deleted scene no with wesley crusher it's shorter than that though. mom captain wesley it's good to see you in uniform again thank you sir suits him doesn't it you're looking forward to serving on the titan i am very much i have the night duty shift in engineering and we have a double refracting warp core matrix with twin intermix chambers would you excuse me for a moment i'll see you later what you don't see is that wesley crusher sees in the wedding a pretty girl who's looking at him and he's like "Oh, oh never mind and that's his only scene that was going to be in the movie 
but they cut even that scene. Ah, <laughs> uh, poor Will Wheaton. Apparently they cut okay, like so a right, ton of the best part of the opening. But they cut apparently a ton of character scenes and and plot building scenes out of this movie and left in a lot of the action. So that was something I thought was probably a lot of fans didn't like. So I get that. Anyways, so wedding scene very good. I thought it was really strange that, you know, big fancy wedding, everyone's up enjoying themselves, except for whatever the three black characters effectively are like sitting it out. Were they? They were there. Yeah, but Jordy and Guinan are just sitting kind of off together. <laughs> and then Worf is sitting alone. And, and Worf gets drunk. <laughs> right, right. It's just strange. I was like, why? Why does all the white people get to enjoy themselves? Even in the future, we are racist. <laughs> um. So they go back in the ship, I believe, because uh, they're going to head to Beta Zed to have the Beta Zoid wedding, which if you'll know from the series, those weddings all naked. are always all nude. And that's where you would probably have seen Loxana Troy, the Deanna Troy's mother, who's played by Roddenberry's wife. Um, but she was not in this movie. Um, so, yeah, but then they get called by Starfleet to. Uh, what's the first thing they get called by Starfleet to do? Oh no! They they first they get a, a signal. Worf sees a signal. Of, they get a, I wrote a positronic signature from some bullshit quadrant. Right. That's what I wrote down because <laughs> it's uh, only a positronic uh, energy only comes from androids like Data. So they are like, "That's weird." So they want to go find that because it's nearby, and they can still yeah, get another to robot. Because the last time they met another Data, that worked out real good. Yeah, when they met Lore, was not so good. Uh, so they go down the, um, this planet to track them down. It's like a desert planet. Like everything in space, planets are all the same around their entire ecosystem. Like data, data in in pieces, right? And they start getting chased uh, by this weird, uh, uh, angry like Tuscan Raiders kind of, basically in buggies. And I thought this scene was really fun, and a lot of jokes were thrown in, and Captain Picard's having a good time, and it was action packed. Do a barn door catch into the shuttle. Yeah, it was great. I enjoyed every minute. Yeah, all right, sure. <laughs> so then they get the data head back and they animate it and it's well actually no it's it's talking kind of the whole time through most of that um but then it's called b4 and it's just baby data basically like data at a three-year-old level where am i what's going on who are you what is that <laughs> uh, then picard gets called away because he's getting called from starfleet it's captain janeway janeway gets a, a neat little cameo she does hello janeway how good to see you again John Luke, how'd you like a trip to Romulus? That voice. With or without the rest of the fleet. A diplomatic mission. This is my last clip, by the way. believe it or not. How many more of these Seems there's been some kind of internal political shake-up. The new Praetor, someone called Shinzong, has requested a Federation envoy. New Praetor? Here's more. New Praetor? Believe me, we don't understand that either. You're the closest ship, so I want you to go and hear what he has to say. Get the lay of the land. If the Empire becomes unstable, it could mean trouble for the entire quadrant. This is the whole exposition. Good. We're sending you all the intelligence we have, but it's not much. And all the plot. I don't need to tell mm. you to watch your back, Jean-Luc. Yes. Hardly. Hardly. The Sona, the Borg, the Romulans. You seem to get all the easy assignments. Just lucky, Admiral. <laughs> Let's hope that luck holds. Janeway out. So the interesting thing is that... Sounds like a rapper. <laughs> well, who does? Way out. Out. The interesting thing was that they tried to get Seven of Nine, Jerry Ryan from Voyager, because she's the sexy hot thing on TV, to come on the show or come on the movie as a cameo or as a bigger part. Um, and she said no because she was currently working on a series and she thought it would make no sense because she wasn't part of that crew. And since she wouldn't do it, then they got Janeway to come in and do it. And I was like, but Janeway made so much more sense to be a cool cameo that made sense to give him orders. Whereas they just wanted sexy seven of nine there for no reason. So I'm glad that worked out. Oh yeah. So they head out to, um, the, the close to the Romulan neutral zone, not quite in it. Well, well on our side still <laughs> to meet with uh, the new shins on to the shins on. They get there and they are con- not confronted, but presented with a huge warship, just giant that had cloaking capabilities. And so this is, so this is, I know it's always a trope, but it was really, really apparent in this one where he's like, away team, let's go. And literally the entire leadership vacates. <laughs> I mean, it made a little more and sense. I, this time. And I immediately went, who's in charge right now? 
it made sense at the time because she wanted him in particular to talk to them as a diplomat because he's really good at that. But at the same time, you're right. The rest of the entire head crew didn't have and data and at least one more. The only officers left on the ship are the doctor and Jordy. Right. And everyone else is down there with them. Out of all of them, only Deanna makes sense because she's great to have. And she does that in all the episodes, too, for diplomatic meetings because she can sense what they're feeling. And if they're getting Deanna and data, because data always has like a factoid that helps everyone. And he's super strong and he can help if something goes wrong. And that makes sense. But yeah, you don't need Worf. You don't need Riker. That makes sense. And then we get one of the better parts of the movie for me, which was Ron Perlman. Uh, Oh, yeah. He's the vice And this is a good role for him. He gets to be big and imposing. And that's what he does well. And I thought this first scene between Shinzon and Picard was just so well-timed and acted and written. They they played off each other really well. Um, it wasn't cheesy. It just, like, I thought it was great. I just think that young Tom Hardy looks like Andy Samberg. <sighs> a little bit, because he's so skinny, too. <laughs> oh, and did you know his teeth are so bad in this? It was a little he didn't distracting. Have money yet. Yeah. His bottom teeth a lot and note now tom hardy has perfect teeth (laughs) because they're all fake probably so he presents himself and introduces himself and knows a lot about everybody and then invites picard back for a lovely dinner yes and stabs himself in the hand (laughs) because they want they're sure you want to test my blood because he's proving that he's basically a clone of picard yeah he is picard right uh, and he shows particular uh, interest in Deanna when she's there uh, visiting them. And then later on in the ship, when they get back, uh, for so- and Riker's about to have sex with Deanna, uh, suddenly the Viceroy like mind, helps... His mind... Yeah, helps Shinzon mind, like, mind meld with her from far away to like be having sex with her and be on top of her. That scene made no sense and was completely was unnecessary weird. for the whole plot of the film. It was completely unnecessary. But... The weird thing about that scene, though, apparently uh, Riker, uh, Jonathan Frakes, didn't want to shave his back for that scene. So they actually paid money to digitally remove his back hair from that scene. Wow. <laughs> so well, now, this The reason that this happened is because they were like, it's Star Trek. It has to have a B-plot. And the B-plot was like Viceroy and Riker squaring off like the number two squaring out and that's how it played out in the end too. yeah they could have played done that better like made it more of an animosity between the two of them or something but they right didn't. so yeah Riker had like a personal reason to go out it was real dumb oh you're right it didn't fit right yeah and plus having rape in there is just weird and unnecessary so then at some point in all this the doctor reveals that she's figured out that Tom Hardy or the clone young Picard whatever the hell Shenzhen uh, is aging rapidly and it's and he's basically breaking down because he is the clone was made to replace Picard at some point. So they were going to they use the word activate him and he was going to age rapidly. But because he hasn't been activated, he's dying. Right. It was like explain a way of how that was supposed to work, basically. Uh, and this is where I had one of those moments that. As an audience member kind of paid off later. Because they're back on the, the Shenzhen's big warship, and all of a sudden, like, it's time, initiate. And then they beamed uh, B4, Data's brother, on board. And I went, how the hell would they take B4 without anyone noticing? Right. How would no sensor go off to show that someone had been teleported off the ship? You know, how the hell that happened? And then luckily later, they, they made it make sense. The fact that it was actually Data in disguise. It was Data. B4. They pulled the old switcheroo. Like, at least I was like, oh, that's how. Okay. That's true. I thought that was done really well because earlier they have a scene where they call Picard down to engineering and before just like, hey, we found out what, what the signal was and where it was coming from, but then they don't explain. I was like, that's cool. They could have just shown that really dumbly to the audience, but instead they let it pay off later and be like, oh yeah, that scene where Jordy brought him down, but they didn't say anything about it. That's what they found out. So I was like, that's really cool. Once again, why this movie's great. Uh, so yeah, Picard and Shenzhen have like a nice, kind of nice little scene. Why? Why, Shenzhen? I was lonely. I was like, okay, that's kind of a good villain line. <laughs> I want to see you. I was lonely. I was um, lonely, Picard. Why weren't you here, Picard? I was born in the darkness of Remus. That's right. Merely adopted. I'm not really a human or a Remus. I'm no one. It's <laughs> uh, terrible. So he basically reveals he's going to kill Picard because he needs his blood, right? Like a full transfusion of his blood. Which would basically kill Picard. 
yeah. to activate him or himself to make sure he doesn't die. Um, so they go and like prepare for the procedure. And as we said, data switch would be for data freeze Picard and they make their way out of the ship and then they have to shoot their way out. Not once, but twice. Uh, once they've got to shoot through a bunch of Riemann soldiers and they get to a, like a hangar and get a spaceship and they fly through the big ship in the little ship. That was a cool little twist. And also those Riemann soldiers are as good of a shot as stormtroopers. Like they can't hit a damn thing. <laughs> it was yeah. pretty terrible. Um, so they, they end up making their way out through the ship and out like a window. <laughs> yeah. A space window <laughs> made of glass. <laughs> Uh, they get back to the ship. Uh, meanwhile, Shenzo is throughout all of this. There's like kind of a C plot where he is in contact with the Romulan leadership that put him in power. And they're starting to doubt his path and doubt that he can pull it off and seeing that he's getting sick and things are weird. So this um, is the C plot. Right. And that plot was fine. Like I liked that. It, it, it paid off later. It made sense. Like the Romulans would be on board for that, especially if they wanted to unify and go against the Federation. But then, He's just not the guy to do it, basically. Um, well, basically, that woman, uh, Romulan, so the commander, she the, wanted the Remans to be healthy and happy. And then that was her original goal. And then it went off the rails where he wanted to destroy everything. She's like, whoa, I'm not cool with that. So she ended up being pretty cool later on. Um, so the, the Enterprise shoots back to Federation space, hoping to meet the rest of the Federation. Oh, I want to they say before this, that, sorry. Um, the re- way they found this is important because the way they found the ship when it was cloaked was that Troy used her mind powers to hack into um, the Viceroy's brain and find exactly where they were located so that Worf could shoot them. And I was like, Troy did something useful (laughs) because throughout the entire Next Generation series, it's like laughed at that she's never very useful. She's like, I sent something, but I don't know what. And this is the first time, really, she's been that useful. he's afraid. Like, that's always... (laughs) I just feel fear, Captain. I can't handle it. So, yeah. That was great. My powers consistently get in the way of my duty. <laughs> duty. And all oh, that same scene, though, it's so funny because Captain Picard says, everyone brace for impact. And then no one does. And everyone just flies all over the place. <laughs> hey, like, when you don't wear your seatbelt, that's what happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so they get to, so they head back to Federation space. And then all of a sudden Picard's like, where are we? Oh, we're in a cloud of something that prevents communication. And that's when the, sh- the his warbird thing attacks. Oh, right. So they right. can't contact Starfleet. Uh, so then uh, two, what, Vulcan warbirds or something? Two Vulcan ships show up. Oh, Romulan ships. Romulan. Uh, Romulan. Romulan. Sorry. Prey, Romulan yeah. ships show up, uh, show up to help the Federation because they're turning on Shenzhen. One of them's destroyed. The other one's badly, like basically listing through space. Uh, the same senator and, from and earlier. Enterprise, Enterprise still pretty beat up. Uh, World beat what, up. Yeah. Um, let's see, what do they do? They ram the ship. Is that what's next? Uh, yeah, because he's basically now his weapons. He's basically going to be destroyed, and all he wants is Captain Picard. So they ram the ship right into the 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 um was the scimitar, the ship that the that Shinzon has, and so that disables their weapons and everything. But it doesn't disable their main weapon, which is this uge- like the um, biological weapon that they're going to use on destroy Earth. Yeah. But it'll take seven minutes to power up. <laughs> Um, so that then the way team goes to go like see Shenzhen in person and they confront them on the ship and Riker confronts the Viceroy who had gotten and, on the enterprise and Picard takes young Picard and ends up stabbing him with like a, con- a piece of metal that conveniently pulled off the wall. <laughs> yes. Um, and then data jumps out of the ship because they can't teleport anymore because the oh, teleporters right. go offline. So he flies a trajectory straight to the ship and gets, puts the, puts uh, the, the little portable transporter thing, right? Right on Picard at the last second. And then data blows up the ship by shooting the biological weapon and it blows up and data dies. Uh, and everyone is so sad. The data has gone. Yeah, I'm really sad because Jordy should be more sad looking than everyone else because he's was best friends with Data, but Picard was the saddest. Um, so then there is a nice scene where it's the crew having some wine, and uh, it was the the toast to absent friends, I think, and the same toast that they apparently used in uh, Search for Spock 
when the yes, that is that is the exact same one. Yeah. Um, and it's a nice moment. It is. Yeah. If anything, it is cheapened by the end. What part at the end? Oh, the B four thing. Yes. <laughs> well, it's it's it it just happens to be true that early on in the movie, and it pays off now. They data had downloaded his entire memories into B four just so he could try to learn from them and become uh, more evolved. And so at the end, Picard is in an office with B4 and he's trying to get through to him and he's just having no luck. So he's about to walk out of the office, but then data starts singing um, blue skies. I think same song as earlier in the movie. And so Picard turns around and smiles and then walks out, which is great for the books because later in the books B4 basically becomes data again. And he's like, Oh, I'm back. Hey, <laughs> pretend I never died. <laughs> and so in a deleted scene of deleted ending, actually, uh, you see Picard getting back on the ship and he's got a new first officer. Uh, the first officer asks Riker for advice. He's like, hey, what should I uh, what, do you have any advice about the captain? He's like, yeah, just he's real casual. Doesn't really go by you know the regulations. So just you'll get him really good with them. You just call him Jean-Luc. And he's like, oh, thanks, man. And so he goes over to John Luke Picard and um, he's like, oh, thank you very much, John Luke. And he's like, excuse me, he turns around and looks at him. He's like, oh, Riker was pulling my leg, wasn't he? <laughs> and then they have a, they're putting in a new seat in like a new captain's chair. And it's like an ensign saying, this is our brand new chair. It's ergonomic with all the new features. And Riker's like, I told him you would like your, your old chair. And he's like, no, no, let me try it out. And he sits down. He's like, it's very comfortable. And then he's like, oh, push this button. He pushes the button and seatbelts fly over him. <laughs> and he's like, it's about time. <laughs> that was be a great joke for all the Star Trek fans. I said, why don't they have seatbelts? <laughs> so because yeah, they, they have inertial dampeners, Jarman. <laughs> that never work. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so they had seatbelts, but they cut the scene out. So we'll never have it. So yeah, uh, that was it. So here, here's the only reason that you know you're right. This movie is not that bad. That being said, with the exception of maybe like five, maybe five or six from uh, as far as Star Trek films, this is probably my least favorite. Huh? Easy, pretty easily. Besides, I don't know. Probably five. Five was real bad. Yeah, I think five is my least favorite film. Um. um but I have to give this movie a little more credence because the director and screenwriter have both had very successful careers. Well, the director only uh, did two other movies. Well, no, no, no. So the director has done a ton of movies. He just hasn't directed a ton. That's what I'm saying. He only directed two other movies. <laughs> right. But he was the editor for Superman 1 and 2, Lethal Weapon 1 and 2, Die Hard 2, Maverick, Casino Royale, uh, Skyfall, 47 Ronin, Tomb Raider, Demolition Man, Radio Flyer, Green Lantern. Um, but editor does not script- make a good director make. And I will no. say in the, uh, the trivia for this says the cast in particular, Jonathan Frakes, Maria Sirtis and LeVar Burton have leveled fierce criticism at Stuart Baird, the director over his direction of the movie, claiming he hated the Star Trek universe and knew nothing about it. For his part, Baird expressed his frustration uh, at having to tell a story in an established universe with pre-existing design and character relationships, hating having to utilize recycled sets and props, and had trouble remembering the names of the main cast. <laughs> and he only directed... Um, oh, and so he apparently only was given the film. He was forced on the cast and crew because he had edited two other movies, Mission Impossible 2 and Laura Croft Tomb Raider, with the promise that he'd be able to direct the next film. And so he was pushed into this movie by the studio. So I was like, that's bullshit. <laughs> and then uh, written by John Logan, screenplay writer, uh, also of gladiator, last samurai oh. skyfall specter and alien covenant. Those are all pretty damn good. Yeah. So I, I'm in, while I can say this is probably my, my least or second least favorite. I admit some, at least some good people were involved. Yeah. I mean, I just, I think insurrection was so much less, um, momentum, so much less you know, thrilling excitement, uh, even less character moments. Like this, this movie all around, I think was better than Insurrection. I don't understand why this one's the most panned, where Insurrection gets a pass as just kind of okay. Whereas I think this one was actually more exciting, a better feature film. Whereas Insurrection just felt like an episode of the show. This felt like a solid feature film, not the best one, like First Contact and Generation. This one better, just but. felt like like two episodes I didn't want to watch. 
I mean, it was a little too dark at time, but it had a great comedic. It was. Movement. It was also a little bit long. It was two hours. It was long. two hours. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. Not my favorite, but I don't know. Muppet Wizard of Oz was certainly worse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this was easier to watch than that. I was checking I my watch Muppet a lot. Of Oz Muppet Wizard of Oz takes the lowest spot on the entire review list. Oh, we'll have to do that at the very end and like rank them all objectively. Oh, that sounds great. Together, yeah. Because they're not related at all. <laughs> That'd be interesting. No, not anyway. Right, well, good good discussion of Star Trek Nemesis. And the good news is, is that after this point, we are on to really good stuff for both Muppets and Star Trek. That's true. And I, I do have some trivia, though, before we go, because there are some cool shit. I, only as a Star Trek fan, I'm too obsessed with this shit. But uh, in an interview given years after this movie came out, Tom Hardy said that he took the role very seriously as it was intended to be his big break. The commercial failure of the movie and the response from longtime fans apparently led to his relationship dissolving, his turning to alcohol, and considering suicide. It was only when he pulled himself together and starred in Bronson in 2008 that he got over this movie. That is depressing. Uh, wow. uh, Sir Patrick Stewart was paid nearly as much for this movie as he made in the entire run of Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> wow. Uh, Michael Dorn was reportedly very upset about Worf having nothing to do, which is kind of true. Yeah, he didn't do anything the whole movie. It's pretty sad. Um, so I talk about seven of nine. Uh, this is the lowest grossing Star Trek movie in the history of the franchise. Yep. I can believe that. Uh, originally there was to be a follow-up to this movie, which would have been seen the enterprise crew crossing over with the characters from Star Trek, Deep space nine and Star Trek Voyager, as well as featuring Riker's ship, the USS Titan and its crew members. Those plans were scrapped due to this movie's poor box office reception, which is sad. Uh, Jude law was originally considered for the role of Praetor Shinzon. I can see that. Yeah, I can see that too. A little, little prosthetics as well. Uh, but also James Marsters, who is uh, Spike on Buffy, and Michael okay. Shanks, who is the nerd guy on Stargate SG-1. They both auditioned for it, but they did not get it. Um, and Brent Spiner, he, this is a pretty popular fact, that he's saying that he wanted him to die, uh, Data to die, because he was getting older and fatter. And he was like, androids don't get old and fat and this looks stupid like i'm not doing this anymore <laughs> so props to him for like just being like realistic like look this doesn't make any sense i don't look like an android so good times yeah so what does that bring us to steve i don't know it's your bit it brings us a techno babble improv <laughs> i thought i had music for that babble improv all right, so now we're doing Techno Babble Improv, which you might have heard before, which is basically where I give Steve a randomly generated piece of Techno Babble, and he has to improvise a scene in which that would make sense. He can either be the captain or someone else. He decides. It's all about improv, folks. So That's here right. we go. Ahem. I'm detecting an unusual thermomagnetic wave signature. Relay it through engineering. Have Chief Engineer Skitch, get a reading on it and send a report to my quarters. It's bubble bath time. <laughs> Engineer Sketch, is that his name? <laughs> well, I was going to say Scott, and I was like, well, that's Mr. Scott, so never mind. <laughs> Sketch is the weird guy in the corner. <laughs> Sketch. He's the night crew guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If we uncouple the Teflon power coupling, it will increase the efficiency of the radial gamma wave straighteners. Sir, the gamma wave straighteners upon decoupling will release a burst of tachyon energy. We should in engage the inertial dampeners just in case it gives us a jolt. Okay, Wesley. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Stand by while I recharge the tordial resistance cannon. The tordial resistance cannon? I thought we left that at Starbase. What happened to the Froyo machine? Oh, I threw that out long ago. <laughs> Well, if we carbonate the electromagnetic particle power core, it will increase the efficiency of the weapons array. The efficiency output could render a 25% flux valence for our transwarp beaming. It'd be a very exciting advancement, sir. And it might change our genders. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> All right, that's, that's too simple. One more for you. All right, let's do it. <clears throat> If we unscrew the Higgs system, it will increase power to the bipolar collector. The Higgs system can't be disengaged from here. We have to go down to deck 16. But we only have 15 decks. Get your spacesuit on, Ensign. <laughs> We're going to the imaginary deck. <laughs> You're going to deck 16. 
Does that mean I'm getting spacer? <laughs> we'll see when we get there. <laughs> Which brings us to some trailer reviews. Here at A Play On Nerds, we have spent years refining our exclusive trailer rating system. At the low, low end of the scale, we have Burn It, where we think you should find every copy you can get your hands on and throw it into a barrel fire. To burn it, Fahrenheit 451 style. And second from the bottom, we have We'll See. Maybe the trailer was too short. Maybe it was cut oddly. Or maybe we don't know what the hell we just watched. Eh, we'll see. Up next, we have Give It a Buck. Whether you hit a red box, a dollar movie theater in the bad part of town, or a cheap online rental, give this movie a buck and enjoy it without breaking the bank. And at the top of our rating system, we have Shut Up and Take My Money. The wallets have been charmed out of our pockets, and we are ready to make our hard-earned cash disappear. And that's our patent-pending trailer rating system for A Play on Nerds. So uh, I hadn't realized that the Mary Poppins trailer had already came out like a while ago. Uh, oh, I was, yeah, that's why I was a little bit surprised. But that's all right. I was kind of waiting for it, and I hadn't heard much about it. So we're going to play the Mary Poppins Returns trailer right here. I honestly can't remember why we kept most of this stuff to begin with. Don't you remember that kite? We used to love flying that with mother and father. Those days are long behind me. I was flying the kite when it got caught on a nanny. Mary. Poppins. Who came back? You seem hardly to have aged at all. Really? One never discusses a woman's age, Michael. Would have hoped I'd taught you better. What brings you here after all this time? Same thing that brought me the first time. I've come to look after the bank's children. Us? Oh, yes, you too. We're about to lose our home. Everything's fallen to pieces since your mother. I miss mother. Nothing's gone forever, only out of place. It's a good thing you come along when you did, Mary Poppins. How'd you do that? Do what? So you've been off filling the children's heads with stuff and nonsense. You've forgotten what it's like to be a child. Everything is possible. Even the impossible. Off we go. All right. Did you notice a little cameo from Angela Lansbury in there? Oh, yeah. I was like, was she in Mary Poppins? But she wasn't. She was in Bed Knobs and no, Broomsticks, so it was a very similar type of movie. So I, they're throwing her in there before she dies, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess they got to get more. They got to juice that that orange a little bit more. I mean, she's been old since 1940, so I don't know how she's still alive. Oh yeah, <laughs> she was a hundred when she had murder murder she wrote. I, know, I don't sure understand. You forgot what it's like to be a child. So have I. I've been old for fifty years. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I don't give a crap about this movie. <laughs> I just don't have you no I, heart. No, and that's why this gets a burn it from me. Oh Jesus! <laughs> I don't care about this film. Rewatch the original. Uh, here's what I'll say: If Disney had not been remaking all of their live action films, this would be unique and interesting and different because it's a sequel. It's bringing back the children. It's recasting. Uh, Mary Poppins, an iconic character, and doing it very well with someone who's very talented and can really pull it off. But I think there's going to get some fatigue from all these kind of fake reboot remakes that are just kind of garbage and don't really be made. But this one, I think, is really unique and interesting and good and can be a possibility for being fantastical and wonderful and something completely new. Uh, whereas they've just been redoing all this crap that they didn't need to remake. And like live action things that aren't really live action, there's completely CGI. So it's like, what's the point? Um so yeah, I think this is going to get short shrift, but it has like Dick Van Dyke in it. He's still around. He's dancing in the trailer. Somehow. Somehow. Um, Emily Blunt looks fantastic. So I'm going to say uh, give it a buck. I wouldn't see it in theaters because I don't want to encourage Disney's behavior too much, but I will stream it or something. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess if I got to pick a, something to throw up on Netflix for the kid to watch, I guess this would be all right, but I don't know. Yeah, like I'd rather watch this than the remake of Cinderella, the remake of Dumbo, the remake of Jungle Book or The Lion King even. Uh, All right, I still give it. It still gets a burn. It. Oh, damn! I hope I could convince you. <laughs> Push no. it over the side. So we wanted to mention the Lion King. Actually, they had a a, a teaser that came out. We're not going to play because it, it just has a bunch of imagery and yeah, a James Earl Jones great, voiceover. The live action remake that's entirely animated, just like the right. original, which makes no sense. 
<laughs> um, but yeah, it looks it looks like exactly the Lion King. Like, I, don't know, I don't know what else to say. It is exactly the Lion King. You know, the kind of way I'm kind of looking at this, though, is maybe it's what they want, and I shouldn't fall into their hands this easily, but like, say, uh, Spamalot, the play, or uh, what do you want to say? Yeah. Fan of the Opera, one of those musicals or something, came to your town and was starring a new star, a whole new cast, people you recognized. They're coming to see, play the same play you've seen many times before, but, oh, I want to see it with this person in it. That's pretty cool. That's kind of how I feel about The Lion King. Like, I still kind of want to see it because... I like so much of the cast and I think it'll be interesting to see their takes on those characters. Just like I, I'm curious to see how the hell Will Smith is going to be the genie in the Aladdin movie. Um, but I, I'm I, so we, I don't think we should be as pissed at the remaking these movies to milk more money. Cause it is kind of like that same kind of thing. They're recasting a play and just, I'm, new, not, well, new, new the, actors. I'm not pissed though, but I don't feel like it's adding anything. Like if anything, I'm disappointed they are because I've seen the Cinderella, I've seen the Beauty and the Beast. I think those are the ones I've seen. I haven't seen the Cinderella, but the Beauty and the Beast one was pretty good. I'll say they're shot for shot, but they are close enough that there's nothing added to the story. Right. I mean, it's for us. It's actually even more interesting our generation because especially those new ones you mentioned, like Beauty and the Beast. Uh, we we were kids when those came out. The oh new, yeah, the new round of '90s. Uh, Disney resurgence movies and so seeing them be brought to life as live action and like Aladdin as well is I think more interesting for us but kids haven't probably even seen those 90s ones and so this would be a whole new experience for them and they'll say they'll think this is the original so I don't, I don't know what to make out of it but I'm just like I'm curious because I'm like how are those actors going to play those characters I've known for 20 years now yeah. so I don't know that's a we'll right. see for me I guess uh, the only actors in the entire thing that I'm like, yes, yes, that casting is perfect is Timon and Puma. It's a, uh, what's his face? Uh, the guy, he's from one of the, uh, Timon is from Parks and Rec. I can't remember his name for the life of me, but he is great. Oh, Billy on the street guy. Yeah. Billy Eichner and, Billy Eichner. and uh, Puma is being played by Seth Rogen. And I think they, I think they got <laughs> it right. right. I don't know if Seth Rogen can sing, I don't but know either. I, they, those are the two where I'm like, yep, they got it. Uh, John Oliver playing the 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 bird is actually pretty uh, Zazu. appropriate. Zazu, yeah. that's pretty appropriate. Who's playing um, Scar? Uh, let's see. Scar is oh, Shweet Elijah for. Oh, okay. Can he sing? I guess he don't. They kind of talk sing as Scar anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, you really do. I know that your powers of retention, but um, but yes, yeah, so I don't. I don't know. I'll give it a buck. I unless Joyce is really of an age where we can take her to see movies. I'm not going to give us any money in the theaters. Neither would I. Yeah. That takes us on to our third movie, uh, Anna and the Apocalypse. Further updates: reports of mass infection with the as yet unidentified virus continue to come in from across the world. <laughs> Can you hear me? I'm a first aider. There's zombies. Not zombies. Right, because that's perfectly normal. Hey, zombies, right? I know. We are not opening the doors. My little girls out there. I'm getting my dad, all right? How are we going to get past all the zombies? I just had the best idea ever. This is the stupidest idea ever. All right, losers. What do I do? Make the movie! Destroy the place! We go through here, we might make it to the school before sundown. Plus, it'll be fun. Yeah, certain death is so much fun. This isn't fun anymore. Hashtag evac selfie. Well, we all deserve to go extinct. So normally I would have cut out a lot more of that, but the songs that you were hearing are being sung by the cast. Uh, it's a musical movie. 
you couldn't tell it from the audio unless you've seen it. So go watch the trailer on your own as well. Um, yeah, it looks, I don't know. It looks at least original, maybe a little bit eccentric. I'm honestly not sure if I'm going to dig it or not, but I'm excited to see something original looking for once. That's true. And they, someone they put in the opening credits are like, it's like a mix between Shaun of the Dead and La La Land. And I was like, all right. Like, I see they're really shoehorned yeah, maybe that. Maybe a little bit, of, a little bit of glee in there, maybe. Because it's a uh, high school kids uh, surviving the zombie apocalypse uh, and a lot of musical numbers singing, which is, yeah, like Steve said, original idea. Congrats for that. Um, now, mind you, this could really be brilliant. It really could. The trailer was not very good. I just don't think it was cut very well either. I don't know. Um, yeah, no, who knows? There, there's but no yeah. known actors in it that I recognize at all. At least there's it's something original coming to the market, and for that I'm happy. So for that I'll give it a give it a buck. Yeah, uh, I'll say we'll see. <laughs> Before I even stream this two hour thing, I want to see, hear someone else say that was really good. So yeah, there we go. There's Anna and the Apocalypse, and that brings us to some radical recommends. I recommend. If you have the means, I highly recommend picking one up. What do you recommend I do? I recommend Pleasant. All right. So this week I am going to recommend something that should be obvious to everybody by now. Something that's been around for 30 years, but has recently been rebooted, which is Mystery Science Theater 3000. Hmm. Uh, Steve and I, I think occasionally watched this when we were kids. Uh, some, yeah, I, I love I love Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie. And there are a couple episodes from the original that are truly classic. Well, there's so many. Um, uh Mind you, there are some that are a little bit of a miss, but I'm, I have enjoyed the new show and they just released a new thing called The Gauntlet, right? Right. So basically season one came out, I think last year, maybe a year and a half ago. Uh, I'm just now finishing the first season going through and actually watching it because before Mystery Science Theater 3000, I didn't like watching it because I didn't like the the skits in between. I thought were just really dopey and silly and cheap. And I was like, I don't care about this. Get to the part where you're in the movie making fun of the movie. And I love that part. Right. That's what I came here for. Right. But now all these... Uh, fans that grew up with the show are now acting in it. Like you have Patton Oswalt, uh, Felicia Day, uh, Jonah Ray, who I liked on the Nerdist podcast for a long time. He's been in a few other things as well. And there's two other comedians playing the uh, the uh, crow and the other robot, I'm forgetting his name. Uh, but the skits are actually pretty cute and funny now. And um, and better, a little bit better production value, but they're purposely bad production value because it's part of the original show spirit to do that. But they are... I am. I haven't laughed out loud this much at a show in a long time. Just like joke after joke after joke. And about one of every five or six will get me. And I'm like, oh, and I start laughing because um, there's just so many of them. But it's definitely worth watching. So the second season, they framed it as in they were forcing the cast, Jonah and his robots, to watch the six movies as a marathon. So they're kind of like influencing their watchers to also watch all six of the episodes as a marathon. But you don't have to. Right. Um, that's why it's a gauntlet. Yeah. But the first yeah, first season was 14 I, I, episodes. Yeah, I watched at least, I think, two or two and a half of them. And I was, I've been enjoying it so far from the gauntlet. Yeah. And it's, it's not really something you'd necessarily sit down and watch all of them at once. But something you can always come back to if you're bored. Nothing to watch. It's like, it's just so amusing and fun to have in the background. Um, so I highly recommend it. It's just, it's a lot of fun. I love Felicia Day as well. So glad to see her more things. And Patton Oswalt's always hilarious. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I would double that recommend. I second that recommend. Nice. Uh, my my radical recommend this week is something kind of mundane, and that's a we. My wife and I just discovered the the joy of ground turkey. Oh, I love ground turkey. So a, if you guys don't know about ground turkey yet, super cheap, stupid cheap. Um, for the ten bucks for three pounds at Safeway, like it's crazy good. Ooh, that's really cheap. Um, <laughs> that's cheaper than where it is here. Right. It browns up real nice if you cook it right, just like beef. If you flavor it right, it can taste pretty much like beef. Mm-hmm. It just offers you a nice lighter option. Uh, and I've done that test before with people where if I tell them that I'm using ground turkey instead of ground beef, they're like, oh, yeah, I don't like this as much. If I don't mention anything, they don't know. They're like, this is great because they're just suddenly yeah. tr- it's like having white bread versus wheat bread they think wheat bread tastes worse somehow it, it doesn't it tastes almost exactly the same okay but- so here's my no 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 so here's my argument for that <laughs> the, <laughs> the crust of wheat bread tastes way worse it has the strongest of the wheat flavor in the crust i the, could agree with that the bread itself though i agree you could interchange them and no one would know but the crust is what makes the difference and just like with wheat pasta if you actually cook wheat pasta just a little bit longer than you would normal pasta 
it has the same consistency as regular pasta and it doesn't taste like anything. You have to put sauce on it. Um, but anyways, back to your turkey, ground turkey. I love it. Well, no, that's it. There's ground turkey. Super cheap. Cooks up well. We get. We did this week, we did what's a family thing called slum, which is just like a simple noodle and pasta sauce kind of. I think I had that when I visited you or something. Oh, you probably did. But yeah, slum, which is just a great thing we love. We made enough and had like three nights worth of slum. And then we uh, got a big cheap pork loin and made some barbecue pork and we've been meal prepping all week. And ground turkey where I'm at is like maybe like a dollar more expensive than beef. Maybe not that much even, but it's just, it's great. It tastes the same. Yeah. Do it. Recommend ground turkey. Great lighter option. Oh, yeah, it's healthier. That's the whole point. It's healthier. That's why you would get that. So it says less fat content. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that that uh, brings us to the end of our episode, right? It sure does. Thanks for coming, people. Right. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for another uh, review of Star Trek. As I said, it's, it's all uphill from here, people. It's real good from here. And we actually know what exciting. we're doing next week this time. We can give them a little sneak peek. That's right. Sneak it. We are doing an episode all about the history of Aquaman. The release of Aquaman is coming out soon. So we're going to talk about Aquaman, where he came from. Uh, Should you be interested? Should you not? Uh, We'll probably talk a little bit about how the movie is going to be, if we think it's going to be good or not. Uh, so Maybe make some wild speculative fan theories that only two people that don't really know the franchise could. Exactly. And we know nothing about Aquaman yet, but by next week we will. But until then, uh, thanks again for joining us, Internet. We will keep on coming back to be your nerdy co-hosts if you guys keep coming back to our BR nerdy audience. Thanks again, Internet. Stay nerdy, my friends. Thanks for listening to A Play on Nerds. Find all of this content and even more nerdy news, reviews, and fun at www.aplayonnerds.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter so you know the exact second we release new podcasts, articles, and other nerdy content. We know you're impatient. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Podbean, Buzzsprout, Podomatic, and whatever the hell else you use. Also, please leave us a rating and review on your chosen podcast platform so we can be discovered by even more nerds like yourself. However you do it, check us out. And how. All Uh, right. If you're still listening to this, folks, I just got an alert on my phone that Daredevil has been canceled. Oh, yeah, that happened. Like right before we logged on. That's bullshit. It's terrible. That's right there. After that's bullshit, that's where you're in the episode. Well, that is my duty.